Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to the Universe Next Door, as we are so excited to be here in the world of apologetics, in the universe of apologetics. I had to use the word universe in a program called The Universe Next Door. Why not, right? Of course. Yes. Well, The Universe Next Door is a program, if you're one of our most uh, uh, appreciated, frequent attendees, listeners, uh, fellow travelers along this road in The Universe Next Door, we thank you for being faithful, loyal listeners. But if you're new to us, if you're this is uh, maybe your first or second or third time, and you're wondering, what do they mean by The Universe Next Door? Well, I'm going to take a glance over to my left. Aha, there it is on the shelf. There's a Marcus Chown book called The Universe Next Door. Do you see it over there, Nick? I see right, it. Right next door, next door to, the, to the Lewis letters. So Marcus Chown, a physicist, he's a science writer in England now, and he's written a book by that name, but then more famous, that, that's a book on science. It's a book on, you know, astronomy, galaxies, star clusters, uh, you know, Einstein's laws uh, or the, uh, the concepts and theories of relativity. But then the universe of ideas, the universe of concepts, the universe of a worldview that guides how you think about everything. That's what led to Jim Sire uh, to write his book, The Universe Next Door. And that came out originally, I believe it was around the late 70s, probably 76 was the first edition. It's gone through, I believe, six editions. It's one of the best-selling books ever, ever produced by InterVarsity Press. And it's still a great seller for them. It should be because it's been my textbook in my class on comparative religions. And it is a spectacular book on world views. And so uh, Jim Sire got the idea of the universe next door actually from a poem written by E.E. E. Cummings. You may have heard of that a weird poet. He was an English professor at Harvard. And he never liked the capital letters, didn't he? Mm. <laughs> I mean, he even spelled his name, lowercase e, period, lowercase e, period, lowercase c, yeah. on coming. He's an early nonconformist. Nonconformist. There you go. <clears throat> I remember in high school uh, reading his poems, and they're very entertaining. Some of them are a little bit uh, off color. But anyway, very uh, uh, creative. And, and uh, so he wrote a book. There's a, there's a universe ex next door. Let's go explore it. And what he meant by is a universe of ideas, a universe that we've never experienced. And so Jim Sire seized on that because he was writing a, a book on the atheist worldviews of agnosticism and the one of deism, like let's say, for example, Thomas Jefferson. But a lot of people even today have a, what we would call a deist worldview. They don't believe in miracles. They don't accept the Bible, but they sort of have a vague God concept. That's a, a deist idea. You know, God made the universe, but sort of left it up there, kind of cranked it up and left it on its own, and he's off somewhere doing his own thing. And then there are other people that have a Buddhist or Hindu, uh, more of a pantheism, everything is God, so we're part of God. And then the other ideas, you know, Islam, there's now a chapter in Jim Sire's book 
the universe next door on Islam. There is a postmodernism uh, worldview that we're going to just touch base on very briefly uh, today and next week. We have, so we have uh, a couple programs developed. It's a two-part study uh, on the adventure of apologetics. Today is to set up the adventure, and next week we're going to talk about the, the danger side of that adventure. Yes, as my wife sometimes says, when we get a little alert on her phone, there'll be the doo-doot, which means danger. <laughs> There's lightning in your anger. And my wife says, danger, Will Robinson, danger. I think there was one because it was too hot the other day. Oh, really? Seven in the morning, heat warning. <laughs> oh, my like, goodness. Wow. Doo-doo. <laughs> heat warning. Oh, my goodness. Get braced. Get inside. Where's air conditioner? That's fun. Air conditioning. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Anyway, so today what we want to do is set up the adventure, the adventure of apologetics. It is exciting to enter this world of universes. And I even thought of it this last week. Nick, I was thinking how, you know, they talk about the multiverse, you know, when they try to explain the fine-tuning the eerie, mm-hmm. everything seems to be set just right, and all the laws of physics and the positioning of the Earth, the distance from the sun is just right, the makeup of our atmosphere is just right mm-hmm. for carbon-based creatures, and you know everything, all the laws of physics, and even our positioning in our galaxy is just right to give us a front-row seat, and yet it's not too, you know, we're we're not in a in a rough, uh, really a hazardous part of the galaxy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so people say, oh, this is just, you know, just kind of luck, and but it can't be luck. So maybe there are other universes out there mm. we can't even observe, and they're the clunker, stupid, dead, you yeah. know, boring universes. Life doesn't even exist in them, and so we're the, by chance, lucky universe. The multiverse theory, well, you can switch that whole idea or theory. By the way, the problem with that theory is there's no evidence that other universes exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A slight problem. But you can think of the other universes, these universes next door. And so today, what we're going to talk about is the adventure of discovering why the universe of Christian thought is the true universe. And you can actually compare that with the other universes in this multiverse. So there is one multiverse, and the one multiverse that exists is the world of worldviews. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So the only multiverse that we know exists is the is the ex- coexistence of people who have different mental universes, mental worldviews, and they are walking around, getting along together reasonably well, hopefully, uh, in, in each of our individual cases. But today we want to talk about the adventure of the tsunami, the wave upon wave of evidence that we are treated in the beginning of the 21st century to see coming in, cascading, literally just showering upon us from science and, and technology on one side, from history and archaeology from the other side, from philosophy, from the study of metaphysics and, and moral theory from, from yet another side. And then we see the, the transformation of tens and hundreds of millions of people in China and Africa and in the remotest parts of the world whose lives were, were, were self-centered and now their, their hearts are, are given to Christ and as a result they give themselves to others and abandon their selfish ways to self-sacrificial ways. Wow! So we see gushing forth this, this new stream of evidence and it's the evidence that comes from lives that are presented to Christ, that are rendered over to Him as a gift, as a, as a Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your bodies to God 
as a living sacrifice. Well, that living sacrifice then redounds or, or reverberates into new evidence. Pretty exciting, I'd say. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Absolutely. To use the overworked uh, word of our era. But it's amazing. Uh, I can't talk about adventures without referring to The Hobbit. Now, I don't know if you have ever had a chance to read The Hobbit. Uh, no, not The Hobbit. Okay, you've read Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Okay, well, you're up. Uh, I've you're read w- the movies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I haven't gotten a chance. Okay, so I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll just mention in honor of the former um, student um, office director of the C.S. Lewis Society, Griffin Foxworth. I don't know if he's listening here. Great guy. Uh He's a graduate of Trinity College, valedictorian last year, and did the DNA and Beyond demo, which you can see dnaandbeyond.org if you haven't seen that demo. He did the two-and-a-half-minute brilliant demo there. Go see it if you haven't, dnaandbeyond.org. So Griffin Foxworth, when he came here, he was at the age of 17. He finished high school early, and he said, uh, uh, have you read The Hobbit? I said, no, and he was a little bit taken aback. I said, <laughs> oh, you've read it? And he said, oh, yeah, I've been reading it every single year since I was in fifth grade. Wow. And so now, at this point, so he's, what, 20, maybe 23 now. So do the math. He has read it, I think, 12 times, maybe maybe on, on to maybe even as many as 14 times every year. So finally, out of sheer um, guilt and, and um, conviction, I read The Hobbit, and I fell in love with The Hobbit. Wow. Tolkien's amazing book. I mean, just uh, just to give you just one example of the sense of that book. And if you have seen the three films, then you know what I'm talking about. It is just an amazing book. But the relationship uh, between uh, Bilbo Baggins and Gandalf comes out. He says, uh, good morning. And, and Gandalf says, what do you mean? He said, do you wish me a good morning? Or mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Or that you feel good this morning? Or that it is a morning to be good on. All of them at once, said Bilbo. And a very fine morning for a pipe of tobacco out of doors into the bargain. And then he blows this, this little smoke ring up into the face of Bilbo, uh, uh, of Gandalf. <laughs> I mean, that's just such a, a, a clever inter- interaction as the two of them formally meet. I mean, Bilbo Baggins has heard of Gandalf. But then... Um, he actually comes to him with this invitation to an adventure. And it's uh, beautifully presented at the beginning of the first film. He says, I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure. Now, I just think this is a a, a kind of a bit of a cliffhanger moment because this is the key, you know, spark plug. This is the start of the book. I mean, this is really the the whole beginning of the journey because if you're going to go on a journey, you have to, and if you're taking somebody with you, you have to start the journey. You have to tell them that you have a plan, right? I'm going on a journey. I want to take you with me. And this is the exact spot. So I'm just, I'm just going to read the quote. This is straight from, from the very beginning uh, of the, the Hobbit. So uh, this is, uh, you know, Gandalf, the sorcerer, saying, I am looking for someone to share in an adventure that I'm arranging, and it is, and it's very difficult to find anyone. I, um, yeah, yes. I let me just re- read that again. And it's very difficult to find anyone. Uh, and then uh, Bilbo re- responds, "I should think so. In these parts, we are plain, quiet folk, and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner." <laughs> and I love that line. 
adventures, nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things, make you late for dinner. And that's so <laughs> typical. I mean, we don't want to be into the fuss and bother of an adventure, right? Um, it may cost us. It may move us out of our comfort zone. And that's the whole point, is that God wants to shake us up. God wants to take our life and make it something uh, thrilling, exciting, and maybe at times just a bit uncomfortable because he wants to stretch us and use us. You know, the, he wants to drill a man and thrill a man. One poem on the spiritual life said, and I, I never forget when I learned that was, a, was, the, was uh, being trained by the navigators about spiritual growth and spiritual life. And that's what the adventure of apologetics is about. It's a journey. And as I've been, you know, in my journey since my time when I was in the Air Force being trained as a photo intelligence uh, lieutenant out in Denver, I remember the time I went into a Christian bookstore and I looked there on the shelf and I saw that little book called Mere Christianity. And C.S. Lewis was the author. And I thought to myself, oh, this is the book I've been hearing about. For months and months, maybe, you know, two or three years at that point. And I thought, oh, I really should have bought this a long time ago. So I went up, paid $5, whatever it was, and I dug into that book. And I also saw Basic Christianity by John Stott, S-T-O-T-T, Stott. And I heard great things about that book. So I thought, wow, I better get that book. So I read both books. I actually read John Stott's book first was thrilled by it, blown away. I saw a book um, called The New Testament Documents. Are they reliable by a British author? And I, I bought that and I read it cover to cover. By that point, I was actually stationed at Shaw Air Force Base. I was doing my photo intelligence work, training airmen, helping them to spot hidden um, air to uh, ground to air missiles, you know, hidden in the trees of Vietnam. Wow. And so it was uh, quite an interesting task that we were doing during the day. But uh, in the evening, I was just in my BOQ room, my bachelor officer's quarters there at the air base in Sumter, South Carolina, just devouring these basic, basic, but wonderful books. I mean, high quality books. We didn't have one-tenth. We probably didn't even have one one-hundredth of the percentage of great books and apologetics that we have today. The tsunami that we have been living through over the last 10 or 20 years had not even yet be begun. I mean, Lee Strobel was still in college, probably at Yale University at that time. He was still a full-blown atheist. And all these other, you know, heroes of modern apologetics, <laughs> they were in high school or college, you know, <laughs> or, or maybe not even born in the case of, John, of Sean McDowell. And so we are so privileged to be living through an era of the explosion of apologetics, but now the opportunity to live out the adventure of a life of sharing with others this wake-up moment, this excitement of having a purpose in life. You know, Bilbo Baggins could have just sat there blowing his smoke rings on the front of his uh, little door, you know, right, sitting there in, in front of his round, roundish, I guess, circular door of his uh, hobbit house on the hill and just, you know, gazing at the clouds as they drifted by in his semi-retirement and just have a comfortable life. 
Or he could go on this incredible adventure, which is the story of The Hobbit, which was very uncomfortable, you know, and at times very nasty and disturbing and did make him late for dinner on various occasions, but was something he would not have traded for anything. And that is exactly what we're seeing in the world of apologetics. Well, I just wanted to run through a couple of these amazing opportunities that we have and resources that are in front of us as we speak. So let's get started here. Uh, we're going to take about five, six minutes and run through some of the major, major sources of encouragement if you're ready to take the plunge. And I'm going to just take you right over to the, well, this is not the shallow end, not necessarily the deep end. It's the middle end of the pool. I guess the, the middle section of the pool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I guess there's a middle end. Yeah. So... What we're going to do is just uh, let, let you guys know that there has been a major breakthrough in really cool, fun to watch, kind of crazy, edgy, I like that word, edgy, millennial, perfect uh, science videos that just came out. Are you ready? They're, they're at uh, scienceuprising.com. I love the word uprising. It sounds like something that, that the Marxists would engineer, right? <laughs> it's going to be a riot. And, yeah, a riot is impending. Yeah, so in this case, it's people who have been told to be comfortable and just believe this, believe that. And then there's, uh, in the midst of what you're being educated, you know, uh, we're the result of blind forces who have crafted you. Evolution is absolutely true. And all of a sudden, there's a, a kind of a break-in, and all the networks are suddenly uh, hacked, and a, a signal that they can't stop is breaking through, and a guy in a mask who can't dare show his face comes on, it's really kind of weird, funky mask, and he, he comes on, he says, what you've been taught is not true. And here are the scientists who are daring to speak out. And then they bring in, you know, James Tour, Rice University, Stephen Meyer, trained at Cambridge University, uh, you know, Paul Nelson, trained at University of Chicago, bang, bang, bang. Each of these guys who have the courage are coming out and saying, these key data, these key truths are not being uh, open to the students in high schools and colleges and universities. This is what you're not allowed to hear. This is the truth that you're not you're told not to listen to. And so these are each six, I'd say six to seven minutes. And they've started coming out over the last month. I mean, literally starting in June, every Monday they pop on. And there's anywhere from 30 to 50 to 100,000 hits that have come in literally within, I'd say, the first week or two. We hope to get it up to a million or millions. And so go to scienceuprising.com. The one that came out just over a week ago, James Tour. I mean, this guy is on a mission. He is one of the top nanophysicists in the world and very courageous. And he says the origin of life issue is not solved. And the people that are telling you that are blowing smoke in your face. And let me tell you why that's true. You know, why what I'm telling you is absolutely fact. And so he just basically says gangbusters. So science uprising. I just want to just mention how important, critical, and very timely this is. Not only scienceuprising.com, but secondly, we have a major development. And if you want to come in and be a part of it, uh, just October 10th here in Tampa Bay, I mean, if you're even in California, if you're overseas, plan to come in to here on Thursday, October 10th, Steve Meyer. 
as a preview of his blockbuster book coming out in January, and it's called The Return of the God Hypothesis. So you, you heard it here first, and uh, we're going to have a certain number of special scholarship tickets that are only $25 and a regular ticket price, uh, which I think is somewhere in the neighborhood of $65 just to cover the cost of all that evening. But uh, just uh, just contact uh, T. Woodward at trinitycollege.edu. That's T. Woodward at Trinity, trinitycollege.edu if you're interested in this event. So what we're trying to do is get excitement about this book, you know, and awareness that it's going to be hitting the presses. It's going to be available, of course, as a download, as an e-book, also, of course, physically, as always. But this book is resetting the table in the area of science of the universe, the God hypothesis, that idea that had been rejected beginning in the late 17, early 1800s, and then there was just this kind of forceful, absolute, complete rejection of, of science having anything positive to say about God. Now that is boomeranging back big time, and the results are now being summarized in this incredible new book coming out just here in a matter of months, but you can hear him in person here in Tampa Bay. It'll be held at Calvary Church. That's Thursday night, October 10th. Steve Meyer, don't miss it. It's pretty exciting just to have him here, uh, let alone know about this book coming out. And he'll be speaking on the topic of that book along with some other exciting things happening that night at the C.S. Lewis Society 33rd Annual uh, Banquet. So we're, we got some things happening in that area. We have um, J.P. Moreland. Uh, we're, we're working with J.P. Moreland and bringing a special series on the philosophical side of the God hypothesis. Uh, there's a lot happening in the world of philosophy. Some of you may know that Vince Vitale, Vince Vitale, V-I-T-A-L-E, who is like number two now with the Ravi Zacharias in ministry, based in Atlanta. Vince is a graduate not only of Princeton University, but of Oxford University, where he did his PhD in philosophy. He is a nationally and internationally renowned uh, first-rank philosopher, has done a lot of work in the area of arguments for and against the existence of God. And so the arguments for God are right now as, are as razor sharp as they've ever been in the 2,000 years since Jesus of Nazareth walked the roads of Nazareth and Jerusalem and presented himself as evidence, empirical evidence that God had become man and presented uh, not only the case for his reality, the Judeo-Christian scriptures are real, they convey the truth of Christ as the God-man who made it possible for us to be redeemed, to be rescued, to be made one with him. Uh, but, you know, not only the resurrection uh, is plausible in light of the New Testament, in light of what we see of Paul even giving testimony to top government officials in Acts 26, 26. He says this was not done in a corner. I love that phrase. Acts 26, 26. Men, he says to the king, King Herod Agrippa, he says this was not done in a corner. You yourselves know the data. He, in effect, he says you have the file. You know, it's a big bulging file. You have it right there in your filing cabinet. And you know that every time you check into it, it becomes more mysterious with every, every, uh, every source that you check. 
So, you know, the, basically, the more you check the data, it, it smells like reality. So what we're going to do in, in trying to, to go further is next week we're going to uh, take a little bit of a leap into the areas that we're just kind of painting in general for, the, for you to, to see what they are. And next week we're going to talk about the dangerous questions, the dangerous ideas that hover around the edges of this adventure, which makes it really an adventure in the beginning. When you, when you start an adventure, you have to know what's entailed. What are the dangers involved? So next week, we get to talk about the dangerous ideas and the dangerous questions involved in this greatest of all adventures here on The Universe Next Door. Be with us for this amazing adventure. Thank you for listening. I'm Tom Woodward, your host. See you next week. Welcome to the world of scientific discovery. I'm Jim Huta, and it's been my privilege to practice as a perinatal cardiologist for over 35 years, looking at the fetal heart as it develops in utero before the baby is born. We now know that the fetal heart development is controlled by DNA, but more importantly, there's a whole new code in a new area called epigenetics. Methyl tags, which are the signals or control molecules for the development of the fetal heart. Also, check out the dynamic colored DNA model. This is the only existing model that includes the DNA methylation molecules. You'll see methylation tags which attach to various portions of the DNA in order to control how it does its job. In our website, we hope to expose you to new advances in this area of epigenetics in our epigenetics section. Come and join us today at DNA and Beyond.